and welcome to What God Has Done With My Pain. My name is Emily Alvarado, and I am your host. Today, I'm going to tell you a bit about my own story before I ask anyone else to share theirs. It is important to note that this podcast might not be appropriate for everyone. If you are listening with children or have someone who is sensitive to topics related to sexual abuse, self-harm, and suicide, you may want to skip this episode. On this show, we will be discussing topics like these as openly as possible, but I encourage you to listen only to what you are comfortable hearing. With that being said, I want to emphasize how important it is for this podcast to be as authentic as possible. I want it to sound like I'm sitting across a table with you and having coffee or dinner, just getting along and carrying a really good conversation. I want it to be me. I want you to hear the real me that you would hear um, if literally we're just having a cup of coffee. The things we will talk about here are so personal that it's only right I talk to you as my real self. Life isn't polished or perfect, so why should a show about our pain sound perfect? How did I go from being sexually molested, turning to self-harm, dancing with death to where I am now, four years later of never again harming myself or longing for death? Allow me to tell you, whether you believe or don't believe, it doesn't change what happened. It still happened. The things I went through are just as real as the person I am today. To quote the TV show, The Chosen, I was one way and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. All right, so if we're going off of a timeline, um, we can kind of start as early as three and four. Um, But before I can truly tell you what I've experienced in my life, um, what pains and hurts and traumas I've experienced, I first feel that it's very important to at least give you a little bit of a background of um, who I was before all of that entered my life. And I was, you know, I grew up knowing or believing in God um, I think until I was like older, around eight, nine, 10, 11, I started to go to like a Catholic church. I grew up Catholic, but before then I grew up with having a mother. Well, of course I had a mother, but I mean, having a mom who read, um, the, like the Bible to me, but it was more of like, um, like a childhood, like a child Bible with pictures. It was very beautiful. Honestly, it was my brother's and kind of got handed down to me. She'd read it to me and I honestly really looked forward to it. My early memories are me falling asleep to her reading the Bible to me, me asking questions. And it was, I was just very interested. Um, And I really, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with just that book. Um, And I was the type of kid where I loved talking to people, not in even like a cute way. I would just start talking to people. Like if my mom was checking out, I was talking to them. Um, if they were willing to listen to me and respond, I was willing to carry the conversation. I did not care. And especially when, you know, when I was small, I would wander the house. Like I would just wander unafraid and I would wander in the dark. Like it didn't matter if the sun went down, I would wander around in the dark. I wouldn't turn the lights on. And I remember my mom asking me, are you not afraid? Why don't you turn on the lights? And I remember that I responded to her, why would I, you know, God is with me. I'm fine. God is with me. And that's kind of how I lived as a child in my mind. God was my friend because he is, and he was with me. And that's, that to me was enough for me to wander, to just walk around in the dark, not needing light. I knew where furniture was. I knew I wasn't going to stumble, but I also 
that was the response that I gave her when she asked me. And that was that. That was just me as a, a like a, a little kid. I loved when my mom read me um, the childhood Bible. And I just believed that God was always there because that's what most parents tell you is he's there. He's watching. He knows everything. Um, but that was more of my relationship with God at such a young age. But my upbringing or where where I was just, where I was as a child was in a very um, dysfunctional, I don't want to say family, but dysfunctional household. Um, I had a very abusive, alcoholic um, father who also used drugs. And um, it was just not a great place to be in. Uh, but as a kid, you don't really, you don't really see it because this is the norm for you. This is normal. Uh, running away from my dad with my mom and then hiding in the closet was normal while we waited for his storm to pass and for him to fall asleep on the couch or on the floor. Like that was normal. You know, I didn't realize that that was not something that other little girls are going through. Like they didn't fear their dad. Um, they weren't afraid of their dad's temper. And that was just a lot of what I grew up with. I, I watched my dad be very mean to my mom and the arguments and I've seen him um, basically almost throw her out of a moving car. Like just all of the, the things that kids shouldn't see, especially things that women should never have to endure with their spouse. I saw it. I witnessed it. I just, it was hard because I didn't understand why my dad was the way that he was. Um, and the amount of drinking, I remember I would ask him to stop. I would, I even wrote up a contract. I wrote up a contract that he would stop drinking and I had him sign it and I taped it up on the wall and every day he would come home, I would hug him and I would ask him, have you drank? And I, till this day, I, re I very well can pick up on the smell of alcohol and I would smell it on him and I would ask him, he's like, no, absolutely not. And because he was my father, I trusted him. I believed that that was true because you want to believe that um, the person that you love loves you back and isn't willing to lie to you and can see the pain, can see what you're asking of them. And that's all I wanted. I think it's that's all I wanted from him was just that he would stop drinking. And I would always have that up. I would always look up to it. And I always felt very proud and happy that I managed to get him to stop, not realizing that, of course, he did not stop drinking. And that was just something very difficult for me in my upbringing was just watching um, the abuse that took on in, in my in my family, I guess, in between my mom and my, and my dad. And my mom was very, very sweet, very loving. She was extremely caring, was the type of mom where she just wanted to have her daughter close to her and hang out with her and dress her up and um, just love on her. And uh, I have a, a brother who's nine years older than me and me and my brother have always been inseparable. Um, he was always the type of brother where if I started crying or any little minor inconvenience happened, he would scoop me up and just make me feel better. Let me play with his games. Anything that would just distract me from whatever it is that I was feeling. Um, even when my parents would argue, he would grab me kind of like something that you would see in the movie. He would grab me and take me to his room and just let me play his game. Something to distract me away from what was currently happening. And just that was the world that I lived in. Again, I thought that was normal. I thought that, um, I don't know, I, you, you, when you don't know anything else, you just become complacent and you think that that's normal. 
And by the ages of three and five, I can't remember which one exactly. I just know I hadn't started elementary yet. Um, I experienced sexual abuse. I um, was sexually abused by a half-brother from my father's side. He was around the ages of 22 and 24. I um, just remember, I don't know how to explain it. I just remember that when I first met him, I didn't like him. And again, this is going back to when I said I would talk to anyone who was willing to talk to me. Um, I just, I don't know, I he walked in through the front door and I remember feeling really standoffish and uncomfortable by him. And I wouldn't really come around him. Uh, I, I honestly don't have any memory being around him. Uh, but when he finally was able to get me alone as a child, I didn't know what sexual abuse was. I didn't know about red flags. I didn't know... Again, I just, I feel like the importance of awareness now and how pe- so many people have spoken up is, is truly amazing because these these things are important. You don't expect that we always talk about stranger danger, but a lot of the times are those who are very close to us and who we trust. And um, I just remember that when he was able to get me alone, being in this room with him and being sexually abused I, the very first time I tried to fight him back, I was very little, but I tried to fight back and I felt like I was punching in a dream. Like my hits weren't landing. I wasn't able to defend myself. And then, and then I was just simply overpowered and I just felt powerless. I felt like my control was taken away from me. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Um, and so I just, I guess I, I just, I gave up. I gave up and um, this went on for, I don't even know how long, but it, it went on multiple times to, to to the point or to the extent that I feel like he started to get sloppy with it. He got sloppy with it in my personal opinion because I was, I would go with my parents on jobs and stuff like that and he would too. Um, and he would sexually molest me at jobs that they were, they would be on. They were, um, they would do, they would do like painting or, um, also like, uh, oh, what's the word? I'm losing the word. It's like, oh, what's the word? Carpentry, carpentry, carpentry. Yeah. They would also do carpentry and paint jobs and he would go with them. And because I was so small, I would go too. And I always say, I think he, he started to get sloppy because he just, he hadn't been caught, um, that he, he would sexually abuse me at the job sites as well. And I, I didn't fight back anymore because the time that I did, I was overpowered. And I looked back for so many years, like, why did I go back into that room? Why did I, why did I follow him? Why did I, did I just accept what was happening? Like, I didn't know any better. I was so young. I didn't have the capability of being like, no, like this isn't this, I can stop this because the time that I did stop it, I I felt like I failed. So I did not know how to stop it. I just remember the guilt that came over me of like, why am I letting this still happen? Um, just, and also like at such a young age to be exposed to something just so disgusting, like you're exposed to something that you should never be exposed to at that age, that your eyes are open to something that you wasn't even in your, in your like view, like even in, I don't know. It's something that you just weren't even thinking about. It's something that like a child is so unaware of. 
and I I was the door was open to this world of of sexual abuse and not knowing that it was sexual abuse and shame coming on me and just just physically being exposed to something that like I just I always think back to when I tried to fight and how it felt losing power over myself and control and the struggle of that and the domino effect that that had on my life, both emotional, mental, and physical, just the domino effect that it had. And it was hard. It was, it was so hard. I didn't understand it. But then again, like when you're so little and there, there's no, no awareness, you don't know what's going on. You don't, you don't know how to talk about it. Um, you don't even know that you're supposed to be talking about it. You know, this is an adult who's doing something to you and, I honestly have no idea how many times it happened, but it happened multiple times and I was just complicit. I just was just going along with it because I felt like I couldn't fight back. I felt like I didn't have any power. I felt powerless. I felt so shameful, uncomfortable. Um, and, and then that's definitely around the time when I felt very separated from God because I felt like God could see what was happening and just... I don't know. I just, it, it's like something entered. Like it, even biblically, we talk about how sin separated us from God in the beginning and how, um, how God has ever since then been trying and trying again to be close to us and draw near to us. But I just, I, I didn't have the tools then. I was such, I was just a child and I just, I didn't, I didn't live like that anymore. I didn't walk in the dark anymore. That wasn't something I could do anymore. You know, like lights had to be on. And like when I was sexually abused, it was in the dark, you know, like <laughs> it's so metaphorical or, or whatever you want to say. But like, isn't that so interesting that, um, that the lights are just off. And I, I mean that as literal, like the lights were off. He never turned on the lights. That was not something that he did. He did it in the dark or even if the sun was out, like the, the everything shades were drawn, like the, the lights were just off. And what I used to find so much comfort in, what I used to be able to walk in fearlessly, comfortably was taken away from me. And I never realized it. Like from the moment that started to happen, I, I couldn't walk in the dark anymore. I couldn't just feel like I could feel God near me because I, I myself just didn't feel worthy of that anymore. And I struggled. I struggled a lot with that. I didn't seek out God anymore. I lost that childlike wonder at such a young age to be a child, but no longer have that childlike wonder to have that taken away from you, to have that stolen from you. And then you were just left with the mess that that is, is incredibly difficult and not even know how to do it, not even know how to deal with it, especially when no one else is, knows it's going on. Um, so that was, I mean, above, I mean, with everything else that was going on in my life with the broken home that I was already living in, I just went along with it. I accepted it. I was, it was really hard. When my mom finally discovered what had been going on, I mean, she reacted how you would expect any mother to react. She was heartbroken, she was devastated, and she wanted justice. And she took me to doctors and they did DNA and they confirmed. And um, she also took me to speak with a detective and all these things were going on. And I became so overwhelmed after having to repeat the story over and over and over again to my mom because she wanted to make sure before she went to authorities 
And after talking to doctors, by the time I got to the detective, I was just so exhausted and so scared and tired. And I remember I was sitting in his office and I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to speak. I didn't want to. I was, I was just afraid, um, overwhelmed. He tried to hand me like a bear. Like he allowed me to pick out, um, like a teddy bear or like a, a doll of out of a, like a, basically like a treasure chest to kind of get me to warm up. And I just, my guard was up. I, I couldn't keep talking about it. I just, I locked down and, um, and it was of course very difficult already. And my mom was just so loving and so kind and tried very hard for me. Like she just, that is something that I will never forget. It's just how hard she tried for me. And it went from that to when my father found out, he ended up giving his son a heads up so that his son could get away in time before the authorities got to him. And I remember thinking like, why haven't they gotten him? Like, where is he? And I came to find out years later that my father, or I don't know, years later, but I, I, I found out that my father warned him and helped him get away. And, you know, I already suffered that sexual abuse from him. And to find out later on that my father chose him over me, and it wasn't even just about, you know, picking me. It was just about like, am I not enough for you to fight for? Am I not enough to receive the justice that I deserve? Like, did it not hurt you? What happened to me? You know, I always loved you with all of my heart, no matter what happened. Like I, I like saw you as my father and I would always be by the door when you got home and I'd help untie your shoes. And like, I looked up to you and you knowing what you knew chose to help him get away. That always broke me. That, that shattered me. And I, I don't know. I just remember that after he got away, I always felt this kind of guilt of like, oh no, had I said something, we would have gotten, gotten him or like, you know, were, would have been able to have caught him. I mean, and mm, I, I didn't know at the time that my dad helped him get away. So I just lived with a lot of that guilt. Um, I struggled with that a lot. I blamed myself um, that he got away. If I had spoken to the detective, if I had tried a little bit harder and the domestic abuse still went on, the arguing still went on. And I remember that I looked at my mom and I said, why are you still with him? Why don't you leave? Because it got into a pretty bad point. And my mom has always recounted that that's, that's what she needed me to say for her to leave. At that time, my mom thought that the best thing for me was to um, stay with my dad until I was old enough um, to see that she tried and it didn't work out. But I, I told her that, you know, why are you still with him at like six or seven? And that is what she needed to get up and go. Um, and then once we left and moved away, my mom told me about how my father helped him get away. And again, like that shattered me. Um, that broke me on top of everything else that I knew about my father. Like it just completely broke me. And I think it also broke my relationship with God um, because I mean, I already became so distant with him. I didn't seek God out. I just was full of shame. I felt like my childhood, like my childlike wonder was gone. I couldn't walk in the dark. I just felt very dirty. I felt gross and to have my worldly father, my physical father, 
my biological father hurt me in so many different ways. I didn't have a high expectation of God. I didn't expect God to do any better. I went ahead and just blocked out. And I, I mean, I grew up Catholic. I would go to church. I would go to mass and I didn't learn much of the Bible. Um, not after what my mom would do, like when she would read to me, but I didn't like study the Bible and I didn't go to church and read the Bible. I would just go attend and leave because we got to have dinner afterwards. That was just the routine that I was used to. And I think that I just, I don't know. I just, I just became very, I wasn't a troublemaker, but I, I was still kind of like um, bubbly, but it was just very different. It was very different. And for a while, I just stopped thinking about it. I, I you know, my family was the type of family where we don't talk about it. We don't mention it. And um, I never talked about it because I knew that it hurt my mom and I knew that it hurt my brother. And I just, I wouldn't speak of it. And I knew that they didn't speak of it because they were hoping that I'd forget because I was so, so young that they were like, hopefully, if we don't talk about it, she'll forget. Um, there's a time that I definitely just like drowned it in the back of my mind and there's a door that shut and you can forget if you don't think about it much, but if I tried hard enough, I would remember or later on when I was around 21, no, 22, 23, um, it came back to me. I was watching something, um, and someone had been like sexually abused and I remember thinking how hard that must be. And then it's like a door opened and a flood rushed out and I, all of the memories came back and I just remember being like, oh my goodness, like I've, I've been a victim and I know what this is like. I've experienced this myself. And yeah, like I just started the domino effect. I didn't realize that it started in the separation with God that it started and I, I really struggled. Um, I start, I started to struggle with, uh, suicidal thoughts and, um, I mean, it started around after I got pregnant with my son. I mean, I I already struggled with like the thought of suicide from at four, the age of 14. But after I got pregnant with my son, I just, oh my gosh, I, just, I felt like such a failure, you know, because it's like teen pregnancy and letting my mom down. I just struggled so hard. And that's when suicide, the thought of it like really, really triggered inside of me and I just wanted to end it. I felt like a nuisance. I felt like a bother. I felt like a failure. And um, fortunately I gave birth to an amazing, amazing um, son of mine that I love so much and I'm so blessed to have. And I still struggled though. It, it's like you, you can honestly, you can cover a wound, but if you don't tend to it and you don't address it, it just gets infected and it festers and it spreads. And by the age of 19 um, and 20, I really, really, really struggled with wanting to commit suicide and self-harm. Like that was something that I really struggled with. I hated that I got to wake up and see another day. I would stay up crying for nights and nights and nights and I hated waking up and I would wake up at like four in the afternoon. Like I just had no love for life. I didn't care about life. I had no I was just not interested. I didn't care. And I really also struggled with self-harm. Like I would cut because it was easier to cut myself than it was to feel the emotional pain that I was feeling. 
physical pain distracted me from the emotional pain. And for whatever reason, I just preferred the physical pain over the emotional pain. And so that was my coping mechanism. I would lean on that, you know, any minor inconvenience or I felt stupid, I would just go to that. And I just, I didn't feel like an adequate mom. I hated my job. I hated myself. I hated everything. I wanted to be gone. I had written letters. Um, I had hidden everything away. I had tried to Google and I just was so exhausted. I was so exhausted. I didn't, I didn't have any motivation. Um, and I just, I think I got to a very low point. I mean, it was very low. It, I had, I look back at that time and I can't remember much. I just remember crying and I just remember waking up very late and everything felt very gray. I was constantly dancing with the idea of death. Um, and so I have a friend um, to this very day who I absolutely adore and love. Um, we've been friends since middle school and she would always invite me to church and I would always go because I just was, I loved her and I wanted to support her in any church event that she had it, but I never went for God. I went for her. I went to see what was going on to support her, to show up um, and being very intentional. And I just, I would go. And I mean, I remember always being like, I wish I had the relationship that she has with God. I wish I could seek him out the way she does or talk about him the way that she does or have that kind of love towards him. But I just could not find a way to do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. It didn't feel genuine. And, um, but I, I, I mean, I, I still went, I still wanted to go. I still wanted to be with her. I still wanted to hang out with her. And, um, she has always shown so much love and care and support in my life. And, um, all of these times that she was inviting me to church, she had no idea what I was already struggling with and the self-hatred and self-harm and just the suicidal tendencies of, of just wanting to be gone and um, hating that I was still living. I just was so tired and she never knew this. Um, so it was really, really difficult for me um, to want a relationship with God because I didn't, I didn't know what that was like. I didn't know what to expect. I still felt a lot of shame and I was just going through a very tough time in my life. Um, and one day she comes over and was like, why don't we watch this, uh, testimony video? And I was like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't remember for the longest time what that video was about until recently when she talked about it. But, um, I just remember we were sitting on my couch, we were watching it. And by the end of the video, the man was like, let's bow our heads and pray out. And we're praying out and my head is bowed and my eyes are closed. And when, when your eyes are closed, it's dark. It's very, very dark. There's, I mean, don't test it out now, but I'm sure we all know that when we close our eyes, it's, at least to my knowledge, there's nothing going on. And I remember that in the distance, I hear, I, not here, I see this little, little, I don't know, like this little speck begin to glow. And I remember thinking like, that's really different. I've never seen that before. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's to the point where it's like almost near like right in front of me and in this it, it was just like a glowing light like very warm and it was just glowing and in that light there's this silhouette of Jesus and I just remember thinking I am insane there's no way that this is happening right now I've never seen anything like that before in my life and it I just remember that there is the silhouette of Jesus and it 
all I see is him look at me in such a sweet way. Again, it's a silhouette. It's like a cutout or it's like a like line. Um, not line, but like, you know, a silhouette line. I don't know how to explain it. And um, he looks at me in the softest way I think I've ever seen anyone look at me and just smiles and nods at me in such an approving way, you know, like in such a loving way. And I didn't want to open my eyes. I did not want to open my eyes. I was like, what in the heck? And it w- I wasn't in, in a place where I wasn't even listening to the TV anymore. I was like, what is going on? And it slowly started to kind of dissolve, like dissipate. Like just, it just softened and it, until it wasn't there anymore. And when I opened my eyes, I thought I was crazy. I didn't know what I saw. I didn't understand what I had just witnessed. And I remember debating like, do I tell her? Do I not tell her? How do I even talk about this? Um, But I ended up telling her anyways. And I was like, Dina, this just happened. And I was expecting her to look at me like I was a crazy person and to dismiss it and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But what I received instead was just love and acceptance. And she was just like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Like your life is about to change. And that never even occurred to me. Like my life is about to change after seeing something like that. Had she not said anything, I don't even think I would have picked up on on that as well. But she just was like, your life is about to change. I don't know what it means, but your life is about to change. And I, of course, was a little dismissive of like, okay, sure. Um, But I can confidently say that after I saw what I saw, like something did shift in me. And it's not like, you know, a lot of people are, are think that it can just be like, overnight you know healing and depending on the wound that you have it just can't be healed overnight I mean if it, it could be but then but then there's no room for growth you know like you have to be able to process what you're processing and deal with it in the way that it needs to be deal and dealt with and um or dealt with and tend to the wound the way the wound needs to be tended to you know there's a reason why even in hospitals like there are certain things that need to be addressed and um steps that need to be followed in any situation and whether it's again emotional physical or mental like certain things need to be addressed in in a certain way and I do remember though that like things did begin to shift I look back now and I can definitely see the shift that started to happen in my life like I became obsessed with wanting to know God I was like what is it about me or like why did God care so much why did Jesus care so much to come see me where I was in my living room in my lowest point. And so I started to seek God out and I, I started to try to read the Bible more, but like I never learned how to actually read the Bible. You know, like when they say like open chapter or go to Exodus chapter eight, verse two, like I never understood what that was. I would just open my Bible and flip through it and pretend like I knew what was going on, but I never actually knew how to do any of that. And so I started to dive into the Bible and I wanted to know more of God and I wanted to learn more of his goodness and understand him more because I witnessed what I witnessed and I started to feel a shift and my heart started to go closer and closer to him. And it wasn't something like forceful. I just curious, curiosity peaked. I was interested. I wanted to know what that was. And um, I remember my mom once told me, you know, because I told her, I was like, I, I want to see it again. I want to see that again. And she just said, you might not. You probably saw it when you needed to see it the most. He probably showed up in a point in your life where it was the only thing that was going to help you. And that, that struck me deeply because where to where I was, like how 
how deep, um, how deep I was in my sorrow and in my self-hatred. I like, I am convinced that I would have been successful in suicide. I'm convinced that I would have been successful in continuing my self-harm and at some point reached a very, very low point. And to go from that to where I am now, because I, I just, I just wanted to know him and to be met at such a low point and to be able to look back and see all of the difference. I stopped um, thinking about suicide. I stopped self-harm, you know, like actually after I saw what I saw, like the thoughts still occurred of wanting to do self-harm, but I, I wouldn't do it. I just, out of nowhere, I just stopped picking up the blade. I stopped wanting, well, I still wanted to cut myself, but I just stopped doing it. I would put it down and just say like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think that this is what I want to do anymore. Um, I don't want to do this to my body anymore. And um, I went from hating every single day that I woke up to kind of getting a little bit excited about the next day or the next week or the next month and dreaming a little bit more for myself and seeing past things and not saying no to myself anymore. I would go ahead and shut myself down and if I wouldn't allow myself to dream and then I started to allow myself to dream and I started to see more past the pain and all of that and it was just a shift that happened in me um and one of the one of the things I would always go back to was just what I saw and um thinking am I that important to you that you came to me knowing that I wanted to go, knowing that I wanted to end it on, knowing that I didn't want to be here anymore. So I just became obsessed over why and wanting to have a more of a relationship with him. And I started to to grow a little bit more in my knowledge of God. And the more that I seek him out, the more I started to discover his love for me and for us. And just that he never really wanted shame to be a part of my life. He never wanted me to, to distance myself from him with my pain. If anything, he wanted to be there with me, but I just, I never knew that that's what he wanted. I just immediately separated myself from him. And the more that I went down this, um, this rabbit hole, um, and seeking God out, the more I just truly became to change. Like I used to have a really bad sailor mouth and I just stopped cussing slowly. I was just like, I don't think I want to do that anymore. And I just, I stopped letting anger control my life. I started to kind of, um, think about others uh, before I acted on on my emotions. I just, there was just a huge shift. Like it, it happened over a period of a year or a period of a year and a half. Like it, all of this took place um, where I stopped self-harming and I stopped thinking about suicide completely. And I just wanted to believe in myself more and I wanted to to dream more and I wanted to wake up more. And I started to, to go from waking up late to woke, waking up at like 4 a.m. in the morning to go to the gym and like, the shift that took on in my life was very, very drastic. And um, I remember thinking when I wanted to be a cosmetologist, I like shut that down. I'm like, oh, I can never do that. Um, and after I saw Jesus, like I, you know, did a tour, fell in love with it, you know, applied, got accepted, went into school, fell in love with it. I just, I mean, it felt like second nature to me. I was so happy. I found something that really made me happy. And I started to just really rely on God more and learn what his love 
for me was. And I mean, I still hadn't addressed the sexual abuse though at this point. I was still doing my own thing. I wasn't aware of what I was dealing with. Um, I wasn't aware that that was something that was still a wound that I had covered up with a blanket, but never truly addressed. Um, So over a course of like four years, I just started to seek God more. And I graduated cosmetology school and God placed me in a job that I am so incredibly blessed. Like he took me from this wounded, broken, just having no will to live to someone who is just so excited to live, to encourage others to see the best in themselves. And to be in a job where he surrounded me by all of these incredible talented people. And like, he, he just took such good care of me. And I look back and you can just, or at least I can really see everything that he did in my life. And I mean, I have such an incredible boss. I have such an incredible leadership. You know, I, like I work at a salon, um, it's called Poppy Salon. And just the effort that they put in for, Um, their employees, the love that they give, how they love to serve and how they have everything set up in a way so that you have a voice and you can speak for yourself and that they listen and they care about where you are. They care about how you're doing. They care about your mental health. They care about your family. They truly and intentionally like want to be a part of your life. And you're not just a number, but you're a person. And I was just blessed because I, I didn't, um, graduate and immediately jump into a salon and try to build my career I I, and I mean doing all of that can feel very hard or like jump into uh like owning your own suite can be very hard I actually was blessed to join an associate's program where they help you master what you're doing it's kind of like a master's degree and then they help you gain clientele and they help you just build your own confidence and your business and find what you love and they set you up for success. And when you finally do hit the floor, they just are constantly there uplifting you, supporting you just by your side. And I was just, I was just given all of this love and and care. And I, I was then able to find a church and I was able to start attending a church and a church that I really care about. And then all of these things just started to, to come together. And God led me in all of it. Like even down to how I found my church. I remember I was driving one day and I just felt God telling me like, I I, I want you to keep driving. I want you to go find a church. Because I had been looking, I had been Googling. I just wasn't sure. And when I came across Grace Church um, in Chapel Hill, I was dismissive at first. I was like, oh, what if that's not it? But God quickly redirected me and was like, this is the church for you. The only problem was I was working Sunday. So I could never truly attend any of their events um, with my schedule. So when I finally got the opportunity to drop Sundays and pick up um, a different day instead, I started to do attend church and like, it was just everything that I needed. It just, everything started to solidify a bit more. And um, I was just given the opportunity to meet all of these amazing people who have incredible stories and kind of feel a little validated, you know, because you think you're alone and you think that you're by yourself until someone else speaks up and you realize that you're not and that other people struggle as well and that we're all going through weird chapters in our life and that we're all imperfect and that we're all trying to just stay above water. Um, And there's something so freeing and important about being open. And I mean, why I feel that it's so important for me to share my my pain because um, there's something about 
when you keep things in the dark, it has a power over you. Like I didn't realize how bad of my sexual abuse had really hit me until I actually started speaking about it and saw the weight that can be lifted off my shoulders, but also the pain of talking talking about it. Like I, I, I didn't realize that that was also going to take healing, but that it was better to talk about it than to keep it in silence, you know? Because you, when you keep things in the dark, then, then you are basically sitting there in the dark with it versus when you shine a light on it and you realize that it's not as bad. It's kind of like... um when you're walking in the dark somewhere and it looks really creepy, but then, I don't know, the, the sun comes out or you turn on a light and it's not, it's not as creepy as you led yourself to believe. Like uh, when you bring things to light and um, when you talk about things that people have either told you not to talk about or, you know, have somehow it's placed a power over you. When you shine a light on it, you realize that like, oh, it's just, it's just that. Kind of like uh, when you're in your room and you have like a chair full of, of clothes piled up and it kind of looks like something, but then you turn on the light and it's really, that's just it. It's just a pile of clothes sitting on a chair. Um, being able to speak about things can be so powerful. And especially because there might be someone else out there who doesn't know that someone else is going through what they're going through and being able to give them somebody to be like, wow, just you understand what I'm going to. You understand that guilt. You understand that shame. You know what it's like to live with that. And, had I had that before, I feel like I would have had better understood what I was going through, but I didn't. And I didn't talk about it. And we didn't talk about it. It just wasn't something that we addressed. And it it allowed that to have power. And God just took all of my pain. God took all of my struggle and said, I love you where you are. I love you no matter what you're going through. I care about you. And this doesn't bother me. Like this isn't the end basically. Like you, you can and will heal. This is not the finish line for you. This is something that happened to you, but this does not define you. This is something that you struggled with, but if anything, this is what's going to help you continue, help you meet other people in those places and, and show them that that is not the end. That is not the finish line. And it's such an important thing to realize that like your pain Although how hard and difficult it is and it can be and how hard it is to still live with it will not be the defining factor of who you are. That is never going to be the defining factor. What someone says to you, what someone has done on to you, what someone or even like what you could have done to someone else. Like those things are not the definitive factor of who you are as a person. And it is so important to remember that like there is more to you. And pain is just a small percentage of what you are. In 365 days, if you have about, let's say, 25 bad days, that's still a smaller percentage of all of the other good days that you can have. And I feel like we focus so hard on the bad. We focus so hard on the difficult. We focus so hard on everything else. We hyper-focus on it. And therefore, we just want to believe that that's all we'll ever be. And we'll overlook the good. You know, like something that bothered you three months ago, you don't even think about today. But three months ago, that was the be all. You know, that was it. That was the only thing that you knew. And that's just not fair. It's not fair to do that on, like, do that to ourselves. And a lot of the times, like, what God symbolizes is forgiveness and grace. And just like, we're not perfect and we don't have to be. And he has showed me how to fall in love with myself, how to care for myself, how to be excited for the next day, how to care for my son, how to be there for my son. When I was so close 
to leaving him without a mother. He showed me how to step up for my son in a loving way, how to love my son, how to hear my son, how to speak to my son and not um, speak at him, but to speak to him and carry a conversation. Through God's love, I've been able to be able to love onto other people and to love onto my child because I shifted my view from, I said this thing and this person is being mean to me for it. Instead of being like, I said this thing and the way that they received it was difficult. Um, they're possibly going through something or maybe I had said it in, in, in the wrong way or maybe they weren't in the place to receive it. It's just kind of taking into those little, those little bits and pieces. And I'm not saying like walk on ice when you talk to people and only, you know, only let people walk all over you. But weakness does not mean that kindness is weakness or that kindness is weakness, you know? I don't, I don't know how to exactly, I'm not editing that out. I'm just, again, trying to be as open and honest with the, or as authentic as possible. But like kindness does not equal weakness, right? You know, sometimes we don't realize that we need someone to be kind to us for a second or give us grace. It's so easy to think about um, how, dismissive we are towards being kind to people or giving grace until we need it until we need someone to understand where we came from until we need someone to show us grace then are we willing to understand what it's like and just to go again from someone who wanted to die every single day who self-harmed who just was crying all the time who like like just complete self-loathing to who I am today is day and night it's completely day and night. And the only thing that happened in between was Jesus. I would not be the Silas that I am today had he not stepped into my life when he did. I am convinced that I would have been successful in my attempts had he not stepped in. I am convinced that I would have continued self-harming. I am convinced that I would have never gone after cosmetology had he not stepped in. I am convinced I would not have been surrounded by the people that I am today. I am convinced that I would have gone down a pretty bad um, motherhood had I still kept the way that I was going. I was selfish. I wasn't caring. I wasn't, I mean, I was, but I wasn't because I was, I didn't care. I stopped caring. You know, I, I just wanted to end. I wanted it to, I, I could not wait till I figured out how I was going to do it. And that was what was eating me alive. And now I can look back and I don't recognize that person anymore. I don't recognize who that was. And it's like a whole different person. It's like a completely different person. And to see where I am now and all of the people that I've gotten to know and all of the stories that I've gotten to hear and just how God has shown up in his goodness in so many different ways into the lives of others. In situations that you would have thought were impossible. If back then you would have told me that I was a stylist, that I had my own place, that I was an amazing mother, that I had a son who was just so incredible and that I was in an incredible relationship and that my career was flying and that God trusted me with so much and that God loved me and that what happened to me with my sexual abuse did not matter, I would not have believed you. I would have said, you know, like, yeah, whatever. I, I, I would not have believed that any of that was real, especially if you had told me that I would have never again harmed myself, that I never again would have would have cut myself, that I never again would have thought about suicide. I would have thought you were insane. In the in that time, 
what I was dealing with was it. That I was convinced that was it. There was no healing. There was no other way of getting out of it. There was nothing that you could do or say that was going to change my mind. And God can do the impossible. There is nothing that he cannot do. There's nothing that he cannot work with. There's nothing that, like, honestly, and like people just have this stereotype of you are wrong. You have fallen short of God's um, expectations. Therefore, you can't have a relationship with him. When in reality, we do fall short of his expectations because we are not perfect. We trip up. Every now and again, I'm trying to spell a word and I forget how to spell the word. But that doesn't mean that I can't write or read. It just simply means that there are days where I fall short, you know, where I don't hit the mark. But I'm still loved. There are days where my son might have not, I don't know, listened or done this one thing, but I still love him. That will never change. And God showed me what that is like. To love your child no matter what they do, no matter the expectation that they hold for themselves or the expectation they think you have on them. And still loving them and still caring about them and just wanting to be there with them and just wanting to cheer them on. That is all he wants. And the goodness that he has given me and the love that he has shown me is just day and night that I showed myself. And I I said it earlier, I do not recognize who I was before. That seems so foreign to me. And I am just so incredibly blessed. And I am so incredibly lucky to have the relationship that I have with God now and to be able to say that that there is no greater love than his. There is just, there is no explaining it. Every person has a different story and how God showed up in their lives. And I'm just so incredibly grateful that he showed up in mine. Um, when I wouldn't show, my, show myself grace or show myself love or give myself the benefit of the doubt, he did. And I wouldn't have what I have now. I wouldn't work in the place that I work now. I just... I'm so incredibly grateful for everything that God has done in my life and what he has done with my pain. That is something that I will carry and I will never be ashamed of and I will always be grateful for. And God gave me the incredible opportunity um, to go from where I was, from being dead to being alive to, I mean, cause like I was alive, I was walking, I was breathing, I was functioning, but I wasn't living Going from day to day wanting to be dead, not experiencing life, not enjoying those just golden hour moments, that's not living. To just holding on to the most difficult things and allowing them to rule your life, that's not living. And to have God take me and give me this new life, to give me this new opportunity to live, to give me this new insight, to give me this new view on everything has been truly amazing. And like it says in Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That always stood out to me. Like after I saw him, it was one of the most impactful verses that I came across. And it was fairly recently after I saw him when I started to seek him out. And it stood out to me. And it is something that is to this day my very favorite Bible verse because it, it just speaks to his character. He takes you from where you are. Does not matter the situation and where you are finding yourself and how hard your heart might be towards the world, towards your family, towards your friends, towards yourself. He will take that heart of stone. He will take all of your pain and he will give you a heart of flesh, one that will beat, 
one that will beat with rhythm, one that will spread so much of your blood throughout your body and recycle that pain and turn it into something good, you know, just give you something to work with. Like God is just truly incredible when given the opportunity, but God has recently shown me that he is a God of consent. He is a God of respect. He is a God of love. All of this is just incredibly beautiful because as someone who did not consent to being sexually abused, as someone who was um, overpowered, as someone who was not able to defend themselves, every single time that I have encountered God or I have allowed God to, to step into my life has always been in a way of consent, in a way that he respected me as his daughter, um, in a way that he would not say one thing and do the complete opposite like my biological father, but instead kept his word. He never turned his back on me. Even in, in those years where I was lost and I separated myself from him, he never left my side. He just waited for consent to enter into my life. He appeared, but not in a in, in a boastful or pushy way, but just appeared and smiled at me and gave me love and gave me care when I needed it. And then allowed me to decide whether I wanted to chase after that feeling or stay where I was. And once I chased after that and I opened myself up to him, he was just so loving and caring and wanted me to consent and once I did is when everything just started to flow together in such an incredible and beautiful way. I am so grateful for it. And I am just so excited to use my story, no matter how painful it has been, to help spread awareness. It's so important to know that when we talk about stranger danger, we also have to talk about loved ones. Just kind of show children um and just you know just just spread the awareness of like this is what's not okay no matter who it's coming from this is not okay there is no such thing as a secret there is no such thing as mom will no longer love you there's no such thing as mom won't believe you there's no such thing as you can say whatever you want but like you're in the wrong they're not going to believe you. They're going to hate you. All of these things. Like it's so important to address what to say to children. Of course, stranger danger has been something that we've grown up with, but also telling them that like, it does not matter how close this person is to you. They cannot do this. They cannot get away with this. And I will believe you when you tell me, I will stand for you. And one of the things that I have taught my son is that no matter what happens, I will always be by his side. I will always love him. I will always defend him and I will move heaven and earth to stand for him. And I have taught him no matter what, this is what cannot happen. This is not okay, but this does not remove you from my heart. I do not see you any different. I will just stand with you and I will believe you. No matter what anyone tells you, I will believe you. It's giving them the tools and the confidence to know that this is, you know, that you stand with him or them and that you are with them. And so by sharing my story, if anyone, if just one person has heard it and has felt seen, has felt validated, has felt some of that guilt just kind of wash away just a little bit, like what has been done to you is not your fault. Okay, it doesn't matter how many times you walked into that room. It doesn't matter how many times you did not fight. Okay, it doesn't matter if you didn't fight initially. Okay, we all handle things differently and we all struggle with them differently. It does not matter how it happened. Just know that it was not your fault. It is not a blame for you to carry. And you are so loved. You are so cared for. And God loves you incredibly and immensely. And I, that was something that I had to learn 
how to discover that love from God and feel like I'm not standing on a trapdoor and feel like God's not just going to pull the rug from under me and be like, oh, just kidding. Like just continual love and care and grace is so important. Something that just truly is just incredibly uplifting. Recently, one of the verses that has touched me the most when I came across creating this podcast that I felt God placed in my heart when I opened my Bible and I was searching for him to just, whether confirm or not confirm, is um, Philemon, verse 14, chapter um, 1. It said, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. And that shattered me because it felt like God was just simply telling me like, hey, like this is your pain. This is your decision. I wanted you to do this, not because you felt obligated to out of obedience, but because you wanted to. And that honestly spoke so much to me because as someone who didn't have that consent, as someone who had that power taken from them, Knowing that God cared about my consent, cared about my willingness, cared about me wanting to do it out of my own heart and out of my own choice just meant everything because he knows me, he knows my character, he knows how to speak to me. And there's so much beauty in knowing that God does not want it by force. He just wants it willingly, kindly, and just wanting to meet you where you are. And I thank you so much for sitting here with me Um, and listening to my podcast, listening to my pain, listening to how God has shown up in my life and how how he has transformed me um, to the woman that I am today. I am so blessed. I am just so lucky to have this platform and to use it to interview more incredible people and to hopefully get their stories out there to those who need it. Um, I am so grateful and thankful for everyone who has so far shown me their support um, from my salon family and from close friends and church friends and everyone who has just provided endlessly, who have opened doors, who have just never said no, but like have seen this, that this thing that I wanted to start doing that God has placed in my heart and um, just started to cheer me on, love on me and support me and um, just God's continued love in my life. I also want to give a huge shout out um, to Lazuli. Uh, the artist um, and singer of No Greater Love, which is the song that I'm using on my podcast. And she granted me permission to use it. I'm so incredibly grateful. Um, It's such a beautiful song. If you want to hear the full song, you can go on Spotify um, and look up No Greater Love um, by Lazuli. Her Instagram handle is L-A-Z. U-L-I-P-R-O-J. She recently just came out with a new song um, called Helmet of Hope. She is such an incredible, talented artist and so blessed um, and anointed by God. Um, Her voice carries so beautifully and I am just so honored that she allowed me and granted me permission to use her music on my podcast. Chosen by your spirit